welcome to the Geek Saga podcast series, Hot D Takes, covering HBO's House of the Dragon, episode by episode. Hi, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and welcome to Hot D Takes. This podcast series covers HBO's House of the Dragon episode by episode with myself, an avid reader of all things Ace Pop, and my friend Manny, a Game of Thrones fan who is unsullied, aka has never read the books, being your stalwart hosts. So first things first, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at A Geek Saga. And I'm Manny, the aforementioned Unsullied co-host, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Manissimo Ort. Thanks for joining us for our 10th episode, which will cover episode 10 of House of the Dragon, The Black Queen. As a reminder, expect spoilers from the episode we're covering, but less obvious, there will be very minimal book spoilers from Fire and Blood, which is, of course, the source material for House of the Dragon. We'll start with an episode summary, then cover what we think are the main hot takes from the episode, and conclude with an episode-specific favorites roundup. We also have a rating system that we will, like true Targaryens, fill in when and where we please, and that system includes rating things on a scale of 1 to 10 Targ eyebrows. Last but not least, in honor of this being the season finale, this week we are joined not by one special guest, but two special guests. Becca another unsullied Game of Thrones fan and fellow Ice and Firecon small council member. Whoop, whoop, new announcement. And Chris, a fan of all things ASOF and also a longtime Ice and Firecon attendee. So guys, where can everyone find you on social media? I'm very rarely on public social media, but you can find my brief, very brief public posting of House of the Dragon live watching on Starshine on Fire on Twitter, and that's where I post most of my public social media stuff. Probably the best place to find me is on Discord. I'm in the Ice and Firecon Discord and Radio Westeros and History of Westeros. All right. Well, we are super excited to have you guys join us now. Just one last piece of business before we dig in. Don't forget the Geek Saga Entertainment now has a Patreon. With 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return, including early access to these Hot D Takes podcast episodes. You can check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time for the long and the short of it, our weekly episode summary. We open on the painted table at Dragonstone, where they, of course, have yet to hear the news of Viserys' passing, which means that Luke, who is musing over the table, still only has one major worry. That being the idea that if Corlys dies, he has to take over Driftmark and the Valarian fleet, neither of which appeal to him because apparently he's prone to seasickness. Listen, we like you, Luke, but talk about first word problems. You might have to take over a major Westerosi seat and have the strongest fleet in the realm under your command. Surely there's a T for seasickness, even in Westeros. Anyway, it is cute when Rhaenyra tries to talk him down from his little tantrum, and he says he's not like her because she's perfect. Unfortunately, this sweet moment is interrupted when Rhaenys finally arrives on the scene with the news that Viserys died and the Hightowers rushed to seat Aegon on the throne. Obviously, this upsets still pregnant Rhaenyra, who immediately starts clutching her belly in pain, while Damon just becomes angry, snarky Damon, accusing Allison of murdering Viserys and then shooting some pretty accusatory remarks at Rhaenys. Basically, he doesn't seem to believe that she refused to agree to back Aegon and then somehow escaped. Honestly, major kudos to Rhaenys for keeping her cool under this situation. Unfortunately for Rhaenyra, the stress of this news brings her into full labor, one that is way too early for the baby to survive. So while Daemon is off plotting his war, you know, the one supposedly for Rhaenyra, but which she clearly hasn't pushed him into starting, or at least not yet, Our rightful queen is suffering through yet another birth, only this time one that doesn't end happily. She pulls the baby out herself and it is stillborn, and possibly even deformed. Thankfully, Rhaenyra had taken a moment to call Jace and Luke to her and insist that as her heir, Jace knew that nothing should be done while she is, uh, let's say incapacitated. And Jace took that order to heart and announced it in time to at least hit Damon's pause button. But Damon, being, you know, Damon... He obviously can't just sit still. Instead, he rounds up the two members of the Kingsguard who came to attend Rhaenyra on Dragonstone and with the threat of 
The long, windy worm boy looming nearby insists that they just bend the knee and swear a new oath to Rhaenyra as queen and to Jace as the heir to the Iron Throne. Conveniently, yet another member of the Kingsguard, Sir Eric, a.k.a. Twin One, shows up soon after this and not empty-handed either. He has Viserys' crown and has come to swear his own oath of fealty to Rhaenyra. So Damon places the crown on his wife's head and kneels before her because, we guess, Damon is always meant to be the one kneeling to his family members, you know. And all's well that ends well, right? <laughs> Wrong. Uh, we're only like halfway through the episode at this point, And it's time for Rhaenyra to meet with her counselor so they can all spend a good long while arguing about the next best steps. Because while they might know who should be loyal to them, chances are not all of those people will be. And listen, it doesn't help that while they kind of assume the Valerians will be on their side, Rhaenys refuses to promise to aid their cause, using the excuse that it's up to Corlys. Because he's still not dead, y'all. How many times do people still need to be reminded of that? The council also very quickly turns to talk of dragons, because the greens might have this many dragons, but the blacks have this many dragons. And there's also some wild dragons, and they all make their homes on Dragonstone, and Damon wants to somehow conscript those into their dragon army and just... Wow, guys, these are creatures, not machines. So, uh, you know, good luck with that, with, with all that, I guess. These discussions are going in circles, but the fact of the matter is they can't do nothing, right? Or at least that's how it seems, especially when who pops in for a visit, but good old Otto. It's Otto. It's Otto. Good old Otto. He's back. Seriously, dude is fucking bold here. But then when Rhaenyra drops in on Cyrax, Otto barely seems to be cowed at all, telling her that stale oaths will not put her on the Iron Throne. Rhaenyra, being the badass bitch that she is, straight up rips Otto's hand of the kingpin off, throws it from the battlements, and calls him a fucking traitor. Nice. But good old Otto still persists, pulling out the page Rhaenyra once ripped from the book about Nymeria and gave to Alicent. This begs the question, of course, did Allison actually send that page or did Otto find out where it came from and swipe it in hopes of using it to gaslight Rhaenyra? We suppose that's neither here nor there, though, because even though Damon whips out his sword and insists that they should end the whole argument right there, Rhaenyra does suddenly seem to be questioning what should happen next, even more than she already was, that is, in a way, good for her, but she isn't sure about throwing the whole realm into war. She doesn't want to rule over a kingdom of ash and bone, and let's be real, that's some pretty solid reasoning for acquiescing to this whole usurpation thing. Unfortunately, Damon clearly has a bigger heart on, dare we say, a bigger, hotter D, for gaining the throne than he does for Rhaenyra, and acts like an abusive piece of shit when she insists that they should maybe take a step or ten back. She brings up Aegon's dream of the Song of Ice and Fire, and Damon responds, Dream didn't make us kings, dragons did. Rhaenyra almost seems confused, asking, he never told you, did he? But Damon merely stalks out without answering, because, hey, I guess it's time for this particularly gray character to show his true colors, or lack of them, again. Oh, by the way, did you all forget about Corlys and whether or not he's going to survive? Because P.S. everyone was kind of jumping the crossbow and assuming he possibly won't live. He was, in fact, only mostly dead. You know, not all dead, but rather still slightly alive. And now he's awake and ready to hear the newest succession goss, which finally doesn't involve him. Rhaenys is there when he wakes to tell him that Viserys is dead and Aegon was crowned. And oh yeah, minor aside, his bro Vaemon is dead too because he couldn't just keep his ambition in check. Hearing all this, Corley seems to be ready to put an end to his own pursuit of the throne by just sitting back and not declaring for either Rhaenyra or Aegon. But even after he reminds Rhaenys as if she really needs it, that Rhaenyra was complicit in Laenor's death and that she ruins everything she touches. The queen who never was disagrees with him, saying that even <laughs> though everyone is trying to convince Rhaenyra to go to war, she is actually arguing restraint. Even though Corliss isn't in top form, Rhaenys' words apparently spur him into action, and he insists on dropping by the latest council meeting, where he declares that the high tower treason cannot stand, and therefore Rhaenyra has the full support of his house and fleet. Rhaenys' smug little grin cements the fact that she made this happen, and after sharing a knowing look with her cousin once removed, Rhaenyra finally gives in to Team Warmongers, with the caveat that she wants to be assured of her allies before dragging everyone into this succession war. 
Luckily, Corlys didn't almost die for nothing. Turns out he's earned the new nickname Lord of the Good Tidings as his fleet controls the Stepstones, meaning they can put up a full blockade and control the Narrow Sea. And while the Maester offers to send ravens to the houses that are supposed to be on their side, Jason Luke insists that they go on Dragonback. After making her son swear that they won't take part in any fighting, Rhaenyra sends Jace off to the Starks and Luke off to the Baratheons, while Rhaenys mounts Maelies to fly off and guard the gullet as part of the blockade. Meanwhile, Damon has his own version of ally collecting in mind and goes a-visiting, apparently with hopes that his sultry singing will win some riderless dragons to their side. We have to hope that Jace and Rhaenys have better luck than Luke does, because as the episode wraps up, Luke's is the only fate we know about, and it's, well, not a good one. He arrives at Storm's End only to discover that Aemond, of all people, is already there. And after the illiterate and boorish Boris Baratheon, ha, see what I did there, turns down Rhaenyra's request for an alliance because she can't give him anything he wants while Aemon is now tapped to marry one of his daughters, a fight nearly breaks out between the two cousins right then and there. After all, what does it matter that Luke is an envoy when Aemon believes that he is owed recompense for his lost eye? Roll of both eyes. Neither of which is a sapphire, but thank you, Hot D, for giving us that sapphire eye reveal. Thankfully, Boros insists that there not be any bloodshed in his hall and tells his men to escort Luke back to his dragon, Eryx. But of course, Aemon can't just accept that, so he mounts Vagar and goes after Luke and Eryx. Now, Eryx is a smaller and younger and therefore faster and more nimble dragon, so for a minute it seems as if Luke will escape unscathed. But then both boys lose control of their dragons, with Eric's first pulling a Dracarys motherfucker on Vagar, and then Vagar turning Chompy McChomperson on the smaller dragon, sending its bits and pieces, and therefore Luke, plummeting into the stormy sea below. And so we close as we open, on the painted table, only this time, instead of Renera getting to have a little chat with her son, she has brought news of his demise. Damon takes her hand, but she practically shoves him off, stepping away with her back to everyone as she takes a moment to choke back her sobs before turning to face her counsel with a look on her face that pretty much screams, I'm for war and for vengeance. And thus ends the first season of Hot D. So, hot take number one. Well, we really did come full circle on the childbirth thing, didn't we? Rhaenyra hearing that her father, whom she did love, was one thing, but the news of Aegon's crowning is a lot for her especially, and even more especially when Rhaenyra is having to hear that her former best friend turned stepmother, who she just had a kind of friendly encounter with, crowned her son instead. So, ugh. This brings on, like, full labor, and she hasn't come to term. It's way too early. And okay, sure, Renera doesn't die, obviously. But it's another very violent childbirth scene that ends badly. Also, holy shit, her just pulling the baby out all on her own and screaming, get out, was really visceral. One thing that I wasn't quite sure about, and I watched the episode twice, and tried to pay very, very close attention, particularly the second time, is whether or not the baby is deformed. Because in the text, it is supposed to be deformed, but in the episode, you don't really see much of that. The head is definitely misshapen. I haven't seen many preemies, so I don't know how much of that was actual deformity and how much of it was just the baby being not fully formed. I don't think it was like a deformity because like my first kid, when he came out, he just had a really big head. And that's what it made me think of. When my kid's head came out, it looked like it was like round and then it like stopped and there was like an extra. And I thought it was a deformity. When I saw it, I was like, oh my God. And the nurse is like, nah, just give him a few months. It'll go back to normal. I'm like, okay. And it did. I thought what you're talking about with the head thing too, but I thought there were like ridges on the head. And then there are also ridges on the body itself, too. And I definitely saw what I thought to be scales on the baby and ridges on the body and on the head. But that could have just been the blood or something. But I definitely thought that it looked deformed in that way. No, I agree. I mean, it definitely looked like there were ridges 
on the head, even with the elongation that normally happens in childbirth and that kind of stuff. And, and I agree with the scales. That That's what I saw as well. Okay, because the first time I watched it, I didn't really see anything, but I watched it on a computer, and then I was like, nah, I'm going to turn all the lights off, watch this on my TV, and pay really close attention, and the head definitely looked... I mean, excuse this, but it looks lumpy. Again, I have seen very few babies right after my sisters gave birth, honestly, but they were all, every single one of my sister's babies, all five of my nibblings were C-section babies. So I do know that there is some like elongation of the head that happens when they're birthed naturally, but this looked a little bit more than that. And this also could be a fault with the episode. So maybe I'll give this like three out of 10 Targ eyebrows for if they wanted to show that the baby was deformed. I don't know that they did a very good job because we have like an okay TV. It's not an amazing TV. I saw a little bit of it in the head bridges thing that you guys mentioned, but I didn't see scales on the body. It was just very like bloody. It looked more like fish scales. It was like a iridescent fish scaly type thing. I think that they could have done a better job too on the one shot because I think that they were trying to establish that it was a tail and I think that it Mm. didn't come off well that it was a tail. Yeah, if that's yeah. what they were going for, I don't think they did a good job because I didn't I, I didn't gather that at all. Like I noticed the head and I was like, okay, that's normal. And then I noticed that the umbilical cord was wrapped around its neck. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, Oh, I didn't see mm-hmm. that. Yeah, like I saw it and I was like, okay, well, that okay, that's how the baby died or whatever. But if yeah, if they were trying to go for the scales and stuff, I didn't pick up on that at all. I think that if you haven't read the book that and you don't know that this baby did in the book come out deformed everything was too like angled maybe the lighting wasn't the greatest whatever that said beyond the fact of the baby being deformed we came full circle here we have gone back to the bed of blood although in this case it i guess technically wasn't a bed of blood because she was standing next to the bed and was just like get this fucking baby out of me and pulling it out by its head and i was like oh god oh god i would not say that this was as like bad and visceral as emma's birth scene in episode one but it was uh it was a lot the fact that she had to go through this and then immediately again be like i gotta be a person again I'm looking at the baby right now. The baby has gray, bumpy skin and has gray, bumpy ridges all over its head. Even beyond that, I think that, again, the entire birth scene brought us full circle. It was like they have really, really, really pressed the difficulty of childbirth in this world in House of the Dragon, which as hard as it is to watch, I have really loved that they haven't shied away from that. But even though I'm giving very few targ eyebrows to the baby being deformed because it's very difficult to see if you ask me and apparently Manny and all of us really uh, at first or even second glance look whatever I think that it was still a well done scene this baby very possibly would have come out totally normal like her last two kids by Damon did but instead she was told her father died And that her best friend turned stepmother crowned her son as king against everybody's wishes. And, you know. Maybe that's where it lost it for me. Because I think they did such a good job with that scene and like making it so emotional. And it was really just heavy what was going on. And maybe that's why the dragon scales, like I didn't even see it. You know, (laughs) it was just so heavy to like watch her go through that. That That part was good, but... Yeah, but the dragons, because I, I didn't even see it. Especially after, like, we've seen her give birth before. Not that it was easy, because it's still fucking birth in a world that doesn't have... God, what do they call the spinal tap thing? Epidural. Epidural, oh, uh, epidural, epidural. thank you. <laughs> Can you tell I haven't had kids? <laughs> <laughs> the spinal drugs. Give me the spinal drugs. Yeah. I think that the show overall has done a very good job of in tackling motherhood. And it being two mothers that are doing what they think is best for their family long term. Yeah. It just sucks that in this case, poor Rhaenyra doesn't get to do what's best 
for this child anyway. Yeah. We get Emma who died. We get Renera having a painful, awful birth, but still a healthy one. And then we get Renera in this situation. But we never see Allison giving birth. Knowing her, she's probably having her servants birth their childs for her, you know? Like I don't want to kids, you know, I'm just Hot take number two. Much ado about those Kingsguard loyalties. Demon did not handle this situation very well <laughs> by like immediately pulling these Kingsguard members outside and being like, I'm just gonna threaten y'all. I'm gonna threaten you two Kingsguard in attendance with the windy boy. They straight up said, when he started asking them, they said they had sworn to Viserys and agreed with the true line of succession. And Damon is just being extra. He's like, Caraxes, your boy. (laughs) So, you can either bend the knee and swear fealty, or you'll get an honorable death. And they already said they agreed with the true line of succession. Come on, Damon. I just think that he's going about it like the classic way that any other king would, where it's like, okay, I got to throw my weight around now, you know, like this is going on and we need to send a message. And Rhaenyra is just doing what her dad would do. You know, she's being a completely fucking honorable fucking queen, keeping the fucking realm together to keep everything fucking like safe. Right. And I kind of saw like a duality with that when she saw that, what was it? That white boar. Or whatever and like didn't kill it you know like boom and then you see her here and she's just like hey you know what no we're not going to war we need to like figure this out she's just playing it totally different you know what i think they just gathered that the audience was liking damon a little too much so they had to like bring it back down to earth for everybody and be like you look guys just a little reminder here um he is an asshole so because he says to jace i'm gonna teach you what true loyalty is i mean like you said, he can't sit still. He's always got to be doing the thing. So, and plus he's nervous. You know, rainier has gone into early labor and he's just like, what the fuck do I do? Let's threaten some lives. Woo! And that's where he feels most comfortable is being a strategist and making threats and inciting violence. So Rainier's trying to hold her shit together and birth this dinosaur yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not gonna mince my words. That's really what it looked like. I think if you told him to sit still and stay where he was, I think his head would explode. He's just spiraling. He he lost his brother, mm-hmm. and these people that he doesn't like to begin with are trampling over what he sees as his wife's birthright. So he's upset, and he just falls back on what he knows is military and using overwhelming force to get his way. I mean, because. We see that even from the beginning when he's in the city watch. I'm going to go out and I'm going to solve crime with overwhelming force. I'm going to solve crime by committing more crimes. Absolutely. The only solution to arson is more fire. (laughs) He's very extra in his... He's probably a Leo. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, actually. (laughs) My partner is a Leo, so I don't disagree with that. You ever been with a Leo and you just have to constantly hold them back like, no, 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 yes. no, no. My yes. partner is also a Leo yes. and I'm a Leo cusp, so I feel it. I'm my own fire sign, so. <laughs> are you an I'm Aries? Normal. Yeah. Ah! Of course you are. <laughs> Thankfully. I guess we have to assume, we don't really see it, but we have to assume that these two Kingsguard bend the knee to Rhaenyra, which mm-hmm. they would have been willing to do, I think, even without the threat of Windy Boy being like, I will burn <laughs> you to death. But then, yay for Twin One, aka Eric Cargyle, showing up with the crown, Viserys's crown to boot. The symbolism is strong in this, but we know that Aegon was crowned with the crown of Aegon the Conqueror, which that seems like it should mean more. But with Rhaenyra then being crowned with Viserys's crown, it makes a point that she was the one who was supposed to succeed her father, specifically. All in all, point being, this lends credence to Rhaenyra's claim. I loved it. I thought it was fucking awesome, the fact that that he, like, showed up. And I mean, I knew the second I saw him, I was, like, just kind of gathered, okay, he's going to do something. But pulling out the fucking crown, didn't see that one. And I was like, holy shit, man. I think people can see, especially, like, the Kingsguard, they can kind of spot tyranny, right? They see these other people. 
And they're like, no, these people are fucked. And they know that like Rhaenyra is her dad's fucking daughter, you know, and her dad was a fucking great king and was a, a fucking peacemaker. And I think they just know which way the it doesn't even matter which way the wind is blowing, right? Like they they understand that it's like, yeah, it's possible that they can lose, but it's like, what would you rather serve under? Like, I'd rather die under a just person than fucking reign over some fucking asshole fucking kid, rapist kid, just to be safe or whatever. They're just honorable people. Well, I think too, it's one of the things where this is finally the culmination of something that she has dreamed about and wanted and done all of the shitty things for, for so long. I mean, she finally gets to have that crown that she wanted for so long. That was her father's. It's not Aegon the Conqueror's or anything like that. It is her Mm -hmm. father's crown. I do know that the way that Viserys and even Rhaenyra, and I'm not going to say anymore because I'm not spoiling anything, the way they are portrayed in fire and blood, it's not what we are seeing in the show. That's all I'm going to say. But I love what they did with Viserys in the show. And so does Martin by the way, because he said he hated writing Viserys and wasn't really fond of anything about that character. But he has said that he really, really enjoyed the way that he was portrayed in the show. It speaks a lot to the writing, the directing, and the acting, because Patty Considine, pour one out for Patty Considine for doing such a fucking great job as Viserys because I don't want to say you weren't supposed to like him as a character or as a king but they made him so much more believable really did like when they first brought him out like I didn't know you know what I was getting into and he just seemed kind of lame honestly when he when he first hit the scene for me I was like "Uh, okay they did such a good job on just letting that character grow and the way he played him was just so believable he really owned that fucking part. God bless that man. He did it a fucking great job. And I think Rhaenyra is owning that in his stead at this point. Now, who's to say what will happen next? But that said, hot take number three. Maybe this conflict should be renamed the Count of the Dragons. <laughs> because seriously, the Greens have this many dragons. Three adults plus a younger one by Damon's Count. But the Blacks have... This many dragons. Cyrax, Caraxes, Burmax, Arax, Moondancer, Melees, if Rhaenys does join them, which of course she does. Uh, and then there are these other dragons, these riderless ones, the ones that have had riders but haven't in a while, and then the wild ones. So right now they have 13 dragons to the greens four. Now granted, the greens have Vagar, and that is a big thing. But I did like that they brought this in at this point because I was a little bit surprised that it already had come into the conversation Because at this point, it's kind of just a lot of posturing. We have this, they have this. I really did like that Damon stepped up and was like, here are all the dragons everybody has. I still think it's funny that it's literally just counting the dragons. Like, how many dragons do they have? How many dragons do we have? You know that he goes to bed at night and he takes out his little little (laughs) notebook that he keeps under his pillow. And he's like... This dragon's still alive. This dragon's still alive. <laughs> and he's memorized them all. And he's like, finally, my time to shine. Yeah, I, I, I thought that it was just a very, like, typical, like, military strategist kind of thing, right? I mean, when anyone's sitting behind the war table, you're like, okay, what does our infantry look like? We have 100 tanks. They have 50 tanks. What kind of tanks do they have? Well, they're smaller than our 101. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it was just, but like I said, Rhaenyra's thought process here is like how do we keep the realm together and Damon's just ready to burn the fucking house down like he doesn't care he'll rule over a fucking kingdom of ashes and fucking bone he doesn't give a shit so I think we're really starting to see like the divergence between their ruling styles that really not really beginning I mean it's always fucking been there but again they're just bringing Damon back down to a a more realistic Damon is what they're doing to where it's like okay look he's just fucking being a hothead and he's just pissed and he just wants to burn things now well yeah Damon's the uh what the first gen dragon nerd he goes to Barnes and Noble and he gets the dragon book the little sticker book oh yeah exactly he's telling his kids come on kids we gotta catch them all (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think that one 
it does a good job of also setting up one HBO has kind of promised all of these different dragons. And while there have been a number of different dragons, not necessarily all of the ones that have been promised, they were the ones that announced even before the season that there were going to be 17 different dragons. The dragons who have been promised. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to give us the dragons who have been promised? Like the prince who was promised? Because we didn't get that. So. Damon has a point obviously they've already lost a dragon by the end of this episode which we'll get into in a bit again they might have a lot of dragons on Dragonstone but as somebody notes was it Renera who noted they don't have riders where are we gonna find riders and then the fact that Damon went like a singing off to what I am Fairly certain was Vermithor. I did not confirm. Based on the eye color, it had to have been Vermithor. Because the only other dragon that might be even close to that size is a wild dragon named the Cannibal. Vermithor has golden eyes. So it's Vermithor, which is uh, King Jaehaerys' dragon. Also, one of Damon's daughters, Reyna, does not have a dragon yet. So they're going to go out and get her a dragon, hopefully, because she wanted Vagar and Aemon stole Vagar from her. I know it wasn't really stealing. He did what he did. And as much as I have negative feelings about Aemon, especially right now, it's like, eh, <laughs> I mean... He didn't really steal the dragon. He just went out and did what he did. So we've gone through the count of the dragons. Hot take number four. Good old Otto strikes again. Good old Otto shows up at Dragonstone, which ballsy dude. Ballsy. Does anyone actually believe that Rhaenyra's kids and all of the men who quote unquote conspired against Aegon would be pardoned because sure, Otto, lol, sure, sure, sure. And Damon straight up says, I would rather feed my sons to the dragons than have them carry shields and cups for your usurper cunt of a king. That was awesome. Uh, I loved it. It was. <laughs> Damon and Rhaenyra were both so fucking snarky in this scene. I mean, shit, when Rhaenyra walks right up to him and rips that hand of the kingpin off of his doublet and throws it off the battlements and says, mm-hmm. you are no more hand than Aegon is king. Fucking traitor. Like, my queen. Yeah. Then Otto brings this page that Rhaenyra rips out of the book about Nymeria and gives it to Allison. What I'm curious about is whether we think Allison actually sent it or whether it was Otto being Otto. There's a part of me that wants to believe Allison sent this page to Rhaenyra to like try to calm her down a little bit or whatever. But there's another part of me that's like, maybe Otto just uh, somehow knew about this and brought it to gaslight Rhaenyra. And I think that's kind of what it is, because it's like with Otto, man, you just you never fucking know. It doesn't matter what he fucking does at this point. You're just always going to fucking question it, just like we're doing it now. You know, I don't I, I personally don't think that Allison gave him that. That's where my brain goes. Anything that he does is just completely sus to me. I know for a fact he brought that shit just to try to fucking, you know, make her feel something. He's trying to fucking manipulate her because that's what he fucking does, you know. And he still sees Rhaenyra as like a little girl and thinks that fucking Rhaenyra is going to fucking eat that shit up. No, fuck that asshole. I agree with Manny. I think that Alicent, no matter how close Alicent and Rhaenyra were, I think she always reported back to her father, especially after the death of her mother. So I definitely see it as something that Otto has been holding on to. He probably has had it for a long time and was probably planning on using it as soon as he found out that Rhaenyra was still the heir. It really wouldn't surprise me that he just took it and dipped. That's a good point, yeah. I'm very torn on this. I agree that I think it was total emotional manipulation that Mm -hmm. Otto Hightower just doesn't care how it gets done as long as it gets done. And if force isn't going to work, then I'm going to try emotional manipulation. And I agree, he could have been saving it to try to save his own life. But I think that if Allison was going to send somebody, she would have sent anybody other than Otto Hightower. Yes, 100% yes. Yeah. You would hope if she was going to be smart enough to send somebody herself that it 
would not have been him for fuck's sake. <laughs> now that said, he does show up there. Look, I wish I wish I could have been the like better person like Rhaenyra, but I would have had his head right there and killed all of his people except one and said, here you go. Take his head back to his daughter. Not even the king, because let's face it, the king is not the fucking king. You know, whatever. He's a little fucking kid. I'd have taken his fucking head and given it to these one of these fucking night people and say, go deliver it to his fucking daughter. You want the answer? There it is right there. Because he, he went on there. And I mean, God, the smug look on that asshole's face, dude. Every time I see, you know what? God bless that actor too, right? He does a great fucking job. You know, like when when, when you can hate someone on screen, they're doing a mm. good job. And he's just doing a good fucking job. I mean, the audacity. I would have taken his head and sent it back. I think personally it was all about getting the money out of the actor. That's the only reason that he shows up. Well, because you miss a great scene, at least in, in my opinion, in Fire and Blood, when the contingent shows up and Orwile is humiliated by Rhaenyra. It's interesting to note that this scene mirrors a very similar scene that we see very early in the series as well. Whenever Rhaenyra shows up to get the dragon egg from Damon to give to his supposed baby with the white worm. Because she also drops Cyrix down and she jumps off and doodles on past Otto Hightower. But I can't help but think every time that happens, they have to build a new wall because the dragons crush when they land i know that's really like really silly but every time i see them land and i'm like oh my god they have to rebuild this wall again <laughs> um <laughs> but no it definitely was meant to mirror the scene obviously you know fuck out of hot eye tower he's a piece of shit him and chris and cole and laris they're literally all just like 4chan dudes they are yeah. disgusting <laughs> they're horrific and of course i think Otto knew that they were not going to accept so i think that he was a little surprised whenever Rhaenyra was like, all right, I'll think about it. Because he expected like her to blow up for sure. But I think it was also supposed to bring us back to whenever she came to get the egg. And it's supposed to be a callback to her growth as a person. And also kind of making us realize that he has not grown at all, really. He's the same twisted ass, busted ass bitch that he was. There were definitely some really great callbacks to earlier episodes in this episode, the childbirth scene, and also this particularly because it was very similar with Rhaenyra just landing on Cyrax and being like, I'm going to fuck your shit up. I wish she had because instead, good old Otto gets to live another day. And I have Otto, a feeling. It's Otto. He's <laughs> Otto. He's here. It reminds me of that Quagmire. The Quagmire yeah. from Family Guy. Yeah. He's Quagmire. Giggity, giggity. I really hate this guy. We all do. That's how we call him good old Otto. He's the worst. All right. Well, hot take number five. Here's a question. Was Viserys just like Oprah? With the Song of Ice and Fire story or what? You get a prophecy and you get a prophecy. Everybody gets a prophecy. I really am curious as to whether Damon knows the details regarding the Song of Ice and Fire. Whether Viserys told him or he really is in the dark. The wording of this hot take makes it sound like it's for sure Damon knew but in the moment it seemed like maybe he didn't because Rhaenyra brings up the prophecy and and Damon is like dreams didn't make us kings dragons did and she's like he didn't tell you did he but then the look he gives Rhaenyra made me think that he actually did know and I'm not even disagreeing with the fact that he would because it could have been Viserys that told him. It could have been their father that was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell both my sons. Which would have been smart to be completely fucking honest. Yeah. I don't know. I'm torn between Damon not knowing. And that's why he's a little pissy. Because everybody always keeps secrets from me. And also him knowing but never taking it seriously. What I almost kind of got out of it, which is probably not correct at all was that maybe he knew something about the prophecy but maybe damon thought he was the one yo like, i like that because when when she says the prophecy about Aegon, whatever he just flips all of a sudden and i don't know i think that maybe maybe he thought it was gonna be fucking him 
that's and bitterness like, he's, there for sure. Yeah, yeah, like it definitely came off as like a bitterness or something like that. Maybe he thought about that fucking prophecy was, you know, about him. But spoiler, it's not. This whole song of ice and fire prophecy being like written on the dagger, etc. That's this is a new thing for us, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The first time I watched it, I thought he definitely knows, and then the second time I watched it, I was like, shit. Maybe he doesn't. But then as the scene concludes, he has this kind of knowing look on his face. And Renera is kind of like, wait, what, 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 what? And he just like stalks out of the room. I don't think that everybody got the prophecy. I honestly think that Viserys just told Rhaenyra. I don't think that he told anyone, honestly. If anybody's handing out prophecies like Oprah, I would say it's George R. R. Martin at this point. I mean... (laughs) It was a, a big mind shift to think that this is something that he had been working towards, but couldn't get his books out fast enough. So we need to introduce it on a TV show. Mm. Mm. My questioning of whether or not Damon knows comes from the fact that Viserys went so long without a male heir that I wonder if he told him about it and of course we know that Viserys revealed it to Alicent mistakenly at the end thinking she was Rhaenyra so dude was dying he didn't know what he was doing but that doesn't preclude the fact that he might have revealed it to Damon at some point when he was worried about not having a male heir but now we're sitting here like okay, well, how many people do know now? Because now it's starting to get out. And originally it was the Targaryen's best kept secret. You're not going to believe what it is. It's a fucking BuzzFeed article. Yeah, exactly. It's like a (laughs) listicle or something. Targaryen (laughs) prophecies that might or might not come true. Now it's dangerous in the hands of these people. Allison, Otto. I took more of Damon's look being kind of the first time you are your father's daughter, if you're going to put that much kind of stock in a dream or portents instead of dragons and force and that kind of stuff, I think that that was more the realization or that's how I took the look was a lot more. You're just your father's daughter right now. I mean, hey, listen, I am here for all of these thoughts because that whole scene was just so like what the fuck is going on confusing to me as book readers we were never given this apparent knowledge that the song of ice and fire prophecy was just a thing that had been passed down through all of these generations so hot take number six yay corliss aka the lord of good tidings instead of the Lord of the Tides, see what I did there, is back mm. from the mostly dead. Poor Corliss. Not even really recovered and already having to sail the Dragonstone. And then having to deal with all this news. The news of Viserys' death, the news of his bro's death. And when Corliss says, our pursuit of the Iron Throne is at an end, it's kind of like, dude, your wife gave up on that a long ass time ago. Our pursuit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like you're projecting a little bit. Yeah, just yeah. a little bit. She's been like, look, my dude, I am fine being your fine ass wife while you run around in your boat and I'm going to raise my two hot ass kids. I'm just vibing. And every time he's so angry, he's like this righteous anger for her. And she's like, every single time he brings it up, she's like, oh my God, just chill the fuck out. Like, why is he saying this? I'm not with him. I don't know who this man is. Somebody please sort him out. Like, she's always just kind of smirks and like, you know, she's just like, shut the fuck up about it already. He would have bowed out of this fight, but Rainey's kind of very easily, if you ask me, convinces him otherwise. Though, to be fair, Maybe seeing his granddaughter standing next to Rhaenyra's kids, who were there betrothed to, helped as well. <laughs> but Curly's kind of forgot about the fact that he thinks that Rhaenyra had a hand in Lanor's death after Rainey's is like, but she's actually being really cool about this. Everybody else is saying go to war, and she's counseling that they like. 
pull back a little bit and, you know, see how things go. And Corliss just marches into the painted table Dragonstone room and is like, so by the way, like BT dubs, guys, here I am. No explanation for why I am saying this. Mm-hmm. And Rainey's is in the background like, <laughs> yep. like her shit eating grin like she knows what she did and i love her for it don't get me wrong gosh like he would have bat out of this fight but rainy's convinced him not to he brings in not just i am with you but also the news that he has taken the stepsons which apparently nobody knew They've all been knowing he's been dying, but somehow none of them knew that he actually defeated the Triarch, took the Stepstones, and now has complete hold over the Narrow Sea. Yeah, dude, that's some bad intelligence right there. Well, I mean, your entire intelligence network is birds, so... (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, that's true, too. (laughs) I was very happy that he came in because... Yeah, people were just writing him off like he was like he was fucking dead already. And it's like, dude, wait for his body to get fucking cold before you guys start making a decision on that. So yeah, getting to see him like fucking walk in again was like cool. It was like finally, guy. Cool, man. Thanks for showing up. You came in just at the right minute. So but it was good to see him regardless. I was never that worried that Corliss was going to die at this point. It was again great to see him. I guess when he said, I want to retire with my grandchildren. How many grandchildren did he actually mean? He knows that Jason and Luke are not of his blood. Yeah. It's obvious in 18,000 different ways. But again, I mean, he wanted he wanted Luke to be his heir. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is he going to take those two along with the betrothed? I mean, tying the family in one makes that uh, a risky proposition where you can't take just two, I don't think. That's the thing. Even before Leonor died, he knew, but he didn't so much care about his direct bloodline as he cared, at least as far as I could tell, about the family taking over Driftmark, right? When he had that conversation with Luke in episode seven, absolutely he fucking knew that this kid was not his son's child. But I don't think that that was a problem with him. Really, when he started having a problem with Rhaenyra was when he believed, as with Rainey's, that she had a part in their son's death. What's weird to me, I think, about this particular situation is that we did see Rhaenyra say to Rainey's, I had no part in this, but we don't see Rainey's tell Corliss that, and he's been gone for a long time. All that said, I think that it's all about Rainey's here. Like, listen, this is a yay, Corliss is the Lord of Good Tidings, like bringing them the news that he has the Stepstones and they can have like a full blockade of King's Landing, etc. But again, he would have bowed out of this fight, obviously, based on his own words. But Rainey's very easily convinced him otherwise. Well, I also think that having seen firsthand how Damon likes to run a war... I'm sure that he was not interested in participating in a Damon-led war. If Rhaenyra is actually there and preaching restraint on Damon, I think he could get behind that. Yeah, I don't think there's any love lost. (laughs) (laughs) For so many reasons. You know, listen, he's there, alive, praise the gods. And hot take number seven, dragons fly faster than ravens and are more convincing, except when they're not. (laughs) Yep. Ah, JFC, poor Luke. Luke goes to Storm's End, and obviously Aemon is already there, and there's been this whole alliance promised because Aemon is going to marry one of Boris Baratheon's daughters. I do think it's amusing that Aemon has a sapphire in place of an eye. This is something I have always kind of attached myself to because I love sapphires. And they symbolize wisdom, virtue, good fortune, and holiness. Particularly for royals, apparently. Eamon shows like maybe one of the above, which is good fortune, and even that is questionable. Yeah, I think that Rhaenyra shouldn't have sent him. Like, 
period. You know, like it was one of those things where it's like, look, I understand what she's trying to do, but like, you have to be like real. Yeah. You can have an, an idyllic way of how you're going to, because I think part of her is like, look, you're just going as a messenger. They know that you're my son. They're clearly not going to fuck with you because you're my son. It's also a gesture of like goodwill, right? To where it's like, wow, she trusts me enough to send her son to me as like a messenger. Ooh, he was 14. <laughs> yeah, but this is like Westeros back in the old days, you know. So mm-hmm. There was 12 year olds fighting in a ring, you know, a few episodes prior. Well, on... I would give them like six. <laughs> yeah, regardless, they were definitely not not of Your age kids. to be fighting. Yeah. I mean, I understand what Rhaenyra was trying to do, but yeah, there's like an idyllic way that you think something should be, but then there's like the reality of it. She really should have stopped and thought for a second that, hey, you know what? If I'm sending people to these areas to try to like remind them where their loyalties are, chances are someone else has already been doing that. I understood what she was doing, but it was definitely kind of a dangerous situation when they're there. And then I see this fucking guy there. It's like, ugh, again with this shit, like, here we go fucking mr eye patch over here 30 year old fucking 20 year old right here you know what i'm saying like i kind of knew it was gonna be trouble and that brathian guy was a fucking asshole also like i understand if i was in his position and this kind of shit happened and then someone came up into my house and was like hey i just wanted to remind you of your oath or loyalty like that would be a little insulting because it's like motherfucker do you think i was gonna forget that maybe now just from you doing that maybe i am gonna forget about it kind of an asshole thing to do it get out of here so, and the fact that he wouldn't let the kids fight under his, his roof, I thought was like, cool. He was like, okay, all right, kids, take that shit outside. There's one thing that happens in Fire and Blood that I wanted to bring up with this particular situation. And that is that in the book, Amond goes to Boros Baratheon and offers his hand in marriage, basically. And Boros is like, choose from one of my daughters. So he chooses one of the prettier ones. But one of the ones he doesn't choose is this daughter named Maris, who's not one of the prettier ones, but she is clever. And when Luke comes and brings his missive and is just an envoy or whatever, Maris is like, are you just gonna let him leave? Like, he cut out your eye. Are you that craven that you're just gonna let this <laughs> kid leave? I don't disagree with the show cutting that out. Yeah. I don't. It's extraneous. It's not necessary. It also, though, to be honest, makes Eamon look even worse because he just did it of his own accord. And the whole point was Maris was egging him on because she was angry that he chose one of her prettier sisters. I mean, I can understand not wanting that scene in there. Like, I totally get it. I guess that wasn't really the point that the writers of the show were trying to make. He gained agency by doing it of his own accord and not because the daughter he didn't choose egged him on. But then they go have their dragon fight and all he wants is some sort of recompense for his lost eye. And listen, I'm when I say that, it makes it sound like I feel bad for Eamon. I don't. He deserved everything he got from then until now. Yep. Dude is an asshole. But at the same time, they did take away some of that agency by having it be the dragons who caused and finished the fight because both of them lost control of their dragons. The reason Luke died is because they lost control of their dragons. Going back to what Damon said about, you know, we were made kings because of the dragons and Daenerys saying a dragon is not a slave, I believe. So we do have these great big beasts and everybody's been like, oh, I can't wait to find my dragon and ride my dragon. And but at the same time, you know, this reminds us that these dragons, yes, they obey sometimes, but at the same time, they do have minds of their own. They do what they want, when they want. You have this younger dragon, Arax, who straight up blasts Vagar with, you know, a nice smoke bomb. They're fighting like little kids. And of course, Aemond and Luke are holding on for dear life because at the end of the day, dragons bow to no man. They're going to do what they're going to do. And get it that Aemond just wanted to scare him. But then he realized that he fucked up big time whenever... Vagar was like, all right, that's enough, clump, and just completely annihilated both Luke and Arax at the same time. Oh, he knows he started the war. 
Oh, he did. Oh, he absolutely did. The look on his face is just like, fuck my life. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, what up? I just started a war between the blacks and the greens. And the memes that have been coming out of this are hysterical. I glanced at a few of them and they're just, they're so funny. But yeah, he absolutely started the war. All because he wanted a little revenge. All because he wanted to scare Luke a little bit. I definitely think that this is reminding us that dragons are unpredictable creatures. And, you know, the whole respect them and revere them, blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's going to come into play definitely more later. I haven't read the books, so I don't know. But I think it's definitely going to come into play later as well. Because, you know, you have Vagar, who is hundreds and hundreds of years old. And then you have Arax, who's maybe, you know. And if Vagar didn't listen to Amon and just chomped, what are the other older ones going to do? What are the younger ones going to do? The one meme that I saw was Vagar, you kids get off my lawn. Yeah. I have one of Vagar that says, this is fuck them kids. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that did a really good job with that scene with the dragons. Like, even though it's like kids kind of riding dragons, I think, at least for me, I kind of forgot that when I was watching it mm-hmm. because they're just dealing with a very serious situation. And then with uh, Amon and stuff like that, you know, he just looks older. So I'm just like, yeah, he's just an older dude and they're fucking riding these dragons kind of forgot like how old it is you know it's it was just kind of like a kid walking a really big fucking dog dog sees something and it just starts dragging the kid at that point and i think this is exactly what happened and it was a reminder of like oh yeah you guys are just fucking kids personally i liked that there was more ambiguity introduced into the situation than there was in the books with the maris baratheon kind of egging him on and it being a big pride thing and that kind of thing so I, I like the ambiguity and it being much more of an accident. I'm always going to equate it to Randy Johnson throwing the pitch and the seagull exploding. That's a good one. That's good. I like that. That's literally what you did is you took this gigantic dragon and you just kind of let him loose in the air and, you know, another dragon kind of exploded. Oops. Oopsies. Well, RIP, Luke. We all feel bad for you. Yeah, he was a good little kid. You know, like I felt bad. He was just doing what his mom told him to do let's be fair he was doing what him and his brother offered to do yes they pushed to do that my kids push me to like do a lot of things also and 95 percent of those things is a no but you know i don't know i don't live in westeros you know so i don't know maybe it's different there maybe they they have better neighborhoods there or something you know (laughs) well i just have to say We've only done this one or maybe two times before, but gotta give an honorable hot take to the literal hot take. Molten wax in the painted table. They just poured some hot ass wax in that table and it just glowed. And I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 Targ eyebrows for how beautiful it looked. Sometimes so. you gotta have pretty things, like a sapphire sparkling in an empty eye socket. I would give the sapphire eye 10 out of 10 targ eyebrows just for the <laughs> fact that they did it. I did not expect the show to do that. I definitely give that one like a 4 out of 10, not because of the sapphire, but just because the sapphire is at the wrong place at the wrong time. It's just in this kid's face. And it's like, ah, oh, dude, I could have found something better to put in there, like another knife. He really comes off as like a James Bond villain. Like something that is like kooky almost. There's something about him. I don't know what it is. Like he's good. He's a good actor doing his part really well. But to me, when I see him, he just reminds me of someone that belongs in a James Bond movie who is clearly the villain. Oh, it's that guy with a diamond in his eye or, you know, something like that. I will never get over the fact that he looks like he's 20 years older than he should be. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Look, I just want it to be known that if the Game of Thrones people, these writers, if they want someone to play a 15-year-old, I'm available. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll do it. I can, I can shave a lot closer, you know, and just be like, you know, hello, fellow kids, you know? <laughs> like, hello, fellow do it. It's time for our favorites roundup. Eric rolling up with the crown that he stole was great. Corliss swearing fealty when I definitely thought he was going to dip. Also great. And then I hate to say this, <laughs> but the whole scene with the dragons and then when Vagar, it was very beautiful. 
The whole scene with the dragons was very pretty. A the, child had to die for the scene to be made, but it was worth it. It was very pretty. When Luke is flying off on Eric's and you see Vagar just in the clouds below him. For me, whenever they burst through the storm and like mm-hmm. right before he gets eaten, just like them bursting up through the clouds and everyone just like looking around them thinking, oh, we're home free. Uh uh-uh. uh, no, you're not. But that I really enjoyed that scene. Like, I, it's very sad, yes, and I'm sorry, but I did enjoy the dragon. I don't really have a an emotional attachment to many characters in this season. So the painted table I thought was great. Rhaenyra being crowned with her father's crown, and then it's just a small little moment. But when she tells the guards to like back off, to like stop, I thought that that was just so good. Just that little moment was so good. She's very fucking strong in this episode. Getting to see my queen be crowned. Like, I've just waited for this. And I wanted her her to just be crowned. And seeing her in the crown, I was just like, I will follow this woman to the fucking depths of hell. Like, I do not care. And and just to add a a little bit, because it's kind of under the same thing, but is at the very end when she's looking at the fireplace and then turns around and it just kind of focuses on her and it just cuts off. I was like my queen let's go get them like let's go burn them to ash right now you know oh i love her yeah i'm with you when eric brought that crown and it was just like oh shit they have viserys's crown they all swore to king viserys but eric saw because he was the king's guard who was there to keep an eye on aegon and he was like this dude's a fucking piece of shit and he takes Viserys' crown, helps Rainey's, and he shows up and he's like, here's the crown. And Damon places it on her head. And again, like, I don't like Damon. I don't. But he has a habit of putting that crown on people's heads and making me feel verklempt about shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so he places that crown on her head and he kneels and he says, my queen. And I'm just like, yep, she's my queen too. That and just, again, like we're only supposed to say the one as the main house, but I'm going to also go with Becca and say like I have a secondary one. When Luke is flying off on Erex and Vagar is below Erex and it's just like oh holy fuck this is gonna be bad it I was... didn't realize that there was such a size difference between the dragons like so this oh, was like one of the God, first times yeah. that I really got like I understood that they kind of like okay yeah there's some dragons and I know everyone knows that there's some that are bigger and some that are smaller but I don't I don't really know you know so to kind of see them side by side it gives you like it really was kind of mind-boggling to see how big the other dragon was and how small this was it was mostly just about the way they did it where Erex is flying and Vagar is below him. And it's not just a size. It was, they did it in such a weirdly beautiful way. I'm kind of sad that it's like over, you know, like I really got into the season and this was something that I really didn't anticipate getting into after the last season of Game of Thrones, you know, like I was just kind of like, well, and I know it's different writers now, but I'm like, they're just going to do more shock value and more over the top shit just to try to get those people back. But getting to like watch it and I mean, literally just from the start as it went, even though like the time jumps kind of like had me spinning a little bit. I just feel like the writers just did so much with just showing you so little, you know, like they made my brain do work and they trusted me and they didn't force feed me anything, you know, like the way they did everything was just really fucking good. And I really didn't anticipate liking the show as much as I do now to me, it's like, well, here we go again. I'll, I guess we're going to have to wait a year for season two, but now it's like, I'm all hyped and like all excited two years. years. Damn. How the fuck am I supposed to lie to myself now, man? You shouldn't (laughs) have said anything. Damn it. Yeah. So two years, I'm going to have to wait now. It's like, fuck dude. Now, like I've said, I think in the beginning when we started, this is that the book readers have done a really good job on not spilling the beans on anything. Anyone who I know who has read the books has just been saints when it comes to spoilers. They're just like, not going to say anything. You'll just have to wait and see, you know, which is fantastic. Because with everything else, it's like I jump on Facebook like 10 minutes after the episodes end or something. They're, oh my God, I can't believe all of this happened. Let me tell you all about it right here. It's like, well, thanks, dude. Like, I just got off work. I haven't watched the show yet. But yeah, two years, that's um, that's kind of heartbreaking, actually. Fuck. 
I thought it was good, and I thought the the deviations that they made were all, for the most part, sensical. They mm-hmm. I, there are things that I could understand why they made that change, going from one medium to the other, from books to TV. But no, I mean, I thought it was overall it was very good, and the time jumps. I was also very leery of, and I thought that they did that very well. I was very happy and very impressed. And I mean, the costumes and especially the jewelry were out of this world throughout everything. After the disappointment that was Game of Thrones, I was very skeptical and it didn't catch my attention right away. The show didn't. So I kind of put it off and I didn't watch any of the episodes as they were airing because I just had so much to do. And then I sat down and watched them all. I'm very hopeful now for the seasons to come. But yeah, as long as, you know, Dan and... Dan or Dan and Dave or whatever the fuck their names are. Don't come anywhere near it. I think we'll be okay. I will say it's very refreshing not to have to worry about like sexual assault in every episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very refreshing because that's like super shitty to have to watch an episode where they use that as a plot device. I definitely am hopeful and I think I can wait those two years. I'll be fine. Maybe by then I'll have read all the books. There's going to um, be a season two. I would assume that Tara's going to invite me back. I can't read the books. Like I, It's like, have fun with that. I'm going to have to sit here for two years and fucking try to figure out in my head what happens. <laughs> so actually, guys, I went to a party oh. last night and I got sullied. I'm sorry. You, know? <laughs> you were sullied? Oh, God. The sullied co-host. What I really, really loved about everything that has happened so far this season, and we will cover this more in our next episode, is that they did a really fucking good job with almost nothing, honestly. This isn't Game of Thrones where they had five insanely detailed books to cover and then nothing after that. This is, they have a beginning, they have an end, And it's like blurbs, basically. So what they have done so far has been so great. And on that note, as we close out this episode, we just want to give a shout out to our heroes, to your patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. And thank you to Becca and Chris and to our listeners for joining us for Hot D Takes, episode 10. Mitty and I will be back very soon with our 11th and final bonus episode, which will feature several of our previous guests to discuss our overall feelings about this first season of House of the Dragon, including highlighting our top hot takes and favorite moments. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con. 